folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, June the 13th, 2012, and it's episode 921 of the Survival Podcast. Hey, I have Joe Riles up for you today. Uh, Joe is uh, into training dogs in kind of a unique way for security purposes around the home. I'll bring him on in just a moment and tell you more about him. But today's going to be a really cool, fun show. Uh, before we get Joe on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by supporting the show and helping make sure that it's here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday, for a little bit over an hour a day. Uh, first up today, silverandgoldshop.com. Uh, check out Silver and Gold Shop, man. Mary Beth Maidmont is an awesome woman. She always takes care of her customers. She has fair pricing, great shipping, and she really does go out of her way to make sure that, that she takes care of customers. And I've had, you know, no complaints about her, and she's been supporting the show for three years now. Uh, she had a little bit of a tough time there. The metal prices fell probably right at the wrong time for somebody in the business, but she made it through and she made a, you know, fulfilled all her commitments to the audience and, uh, just continues to do great stuff and is a great advocate for liberty as well. And that's why she's in the silver and gold business. Check her out today, silverandgoldshop.com. Uh, the next one up today is shelfreliance.com. Notice I say shelf. Like something you put stuff on, not self. So shelfreliance.com. Innovative, uh, innovators in food storage solutions that have rack systems that allow you to easily eat what you store and store what you eat in the canned food world. From small systems like the consolidator systems for the pantry and the cupboard to great big giant systems like the Harvest 72 where I keep a lot of my long-term storage food as well. You can check them out today at shelfreliance.com. And you should also check out the Thrive brand of long-term storage food. If you want variety and quality, I don't know of a better place to look than Thrive. Check them out today again. Shelfreliance.com. Of course, the best way to make sure you're actually dealing with the sponsors of this show, go to my website, thesurvivalpodcast.com, and click on the, the respective sponsors' banners in the right-hand margin. It's not like there's a tracking link or anything like that. It's just to make sure that you're dealing with the right people. We have a vetting process. Uh, it takes a lot to become a sponsor of this show. I haven't taken on a new sponsor in over a year. There's likely not going to be a new sponsor a year from now. There's not a lot of space available. There are personal endorsements. They're vetted by my listener ad council. And uh, it's not advertising as usual where anybody shows up with a check gets in. It's an exclusive club of people that you know you can trust. Please understand that when dealing with my sponsors. And if you do have problems, let me know. All I ask is sometimes I get people, well, I ordered this and it didn't come and you know what and they didn't even give the you know companies make mistakes. Give them a chance to fix it first is all I ask. Then if you feel you need me, let me know. Generally I found that it's not necessary. I found things have happened like people thought they placed an order and never actually completed payment and wanted to know why their order didn't show up. Well you didn't finish the order. Uh, your account didn't get charged so you didn't get your stuff. Alright, so Do give the guys a chance. But if you ever have a real problem with anybody, let me know. I'll sort it out for you. And more than one sponsor has been fired. It has happened before. Hopefully it will never happen again with the guys we have now. I just don't think it will. Uh, also, if you'd like to support this show, a great way to do that is join the Members Support Brigade. Now, what is Members Support Brigade for those that are new around here? Well, you get a bunch of videos I did early on that are available nowhere else. You get over $150 in value in ebooks on day one. You get discounts to over 32 supporting vendors, and those discounts will easily pay for your membership many times over. And the cost is $50 a year, uh, which comes out to about 18.3 cents an episode based on how many episodes I do per year. So check them out 
today. Uh, check out today the uh, Member Support Brigade. If you haven't done so before, consider supporting the show that way. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, first responders, active duty, prior service that are out there risking your butt to help take care of people uh, and serve your country at home or abroad. Email me before you join. Put service discount or military discount in the subject line, and I will find that email, and I will send you a special discount code before you join to thank you for your service. All right, with that wrapped up, I'm ready to go ahead and introduce our special guest today. Again, his name is Joe Riles. Uh, he was in the Army for 11 years, military police platoon leader. He was also an operations officer, law enforcement company commander. He deployed to Iraq, Afghanistan, and Colombia. He's a sheriff's deputy now and a dog trainer for over 10 years. He's the founder and owner of Duntos, Duntos Canine, Duntos Fitness, and Duntos Security. Today he's here to talk to us about why he believes every person who is interested in preparedness and security should have a dog, how you should choose that dog, and how you should train that dog. And uh, really a cool guy, and uh, I missed meeting up with him in Montana when I was up there, but uh, we're going to try to get together and do some stuff uh, down the road. But he is here with us today, and with that, hey, Joel, welcome to the Survival Podcast, man. Thank you very much, Jack. It's great to be here. Hey, could you tell folks just a little bit about how you got into training dogs in the first place? Absolutely. Well, uh, it was about 2002, and um, I had just started uh, in the military. I'd been in the military a couple of years and had deployed once and was getting ready to deploy again. And my wife said, you know what? Uh, I'm not too comfortable uh, being here at the house uh, with you gone for long periods of time with uh, no kind of protection. So uh, that kind of started my quest for finding a protection dog. And at the time, I knew pretty much nothing about anything. Uh, so I started uh, rooting around and ultimately ended up training with a company called Badden Canine. Uh, they're in Canada and uh, outstanding company. I encourage anybody who's in the Northeast to uh, to link up with those guys if you have a chance. Um, but I went up there. I started training with those guys. Uh, we developed a relationship and um, have been working with them off and on essentially from that time forward. Um, I was in the military, so a lot of my interest was taking – the information that I was learning and, uh, and applying it in every area that I could apply it. And that really is what developed ultimately into Dunitas Canine. Very cool. And you, you feel that you're different than most other dog trainers out there. How, how do you feel that you're different in what you teach or how you train or what have you than the, the average person that trains, let's say, protection-oriented dogs? Absolutely. Well, the two primary things um, that really separate us from a lot of other people, and, I, and when I say us, um, Baden Canine obviously uses these same techniques, um, and I kind of consider them a, a sister company to us. I send uh, clients to them all the time who have the ability to go and train with them, so I don't want to take anything away from them. But essentially, uh, Mike McConnery up there at Baden trained under a man named Gunther who was the Nazi SS commander for the K-9 unit under Hitler in Germany. Uh, it's a very interesting story as to how they linked up. But essentially what uh, Gunther trained Mike to do was to communicate with the dogs in such a way that you could essentially achieve practically anything you wanted to. So uh, one of the keys that separates us is that we train our dogs in real-world situations. Uh, none of our training is ever a game. It's never a joke. Um, we're never playing with the dogs in our training. And a lot of people will, will make that claim, 
uh, but they won't actually carry through when it comes to practical application, and that has significant impact on your dog's ability to perform under stress, uh, just like it does for a soldier or a police officer. Uh, so that's number one. And number two, um, I always tell people it's very easy to get a dog to bite. And uh, one, I actually uh, did a call-in question for your show a uh, number of months ago, uh, asking about what you thought of protection dogs, and your primary concern was my primary concern. I think most other people's concerns is once you've uh, trained a dog to bite, or I think your your phrase was once you weaponize a dog, um, isn't that dog then a threat to you and your family to one degree or another? Well, one of the things that we specialize in, uh, both at Baden and Dunitas Canine, is what we call stabilization. In other words, for um, about every hour of bite work that we do with the dogs, we'll spend uh, two to four hours of stabilization. Now, of course, you don't do it in blocks quite that big, but in terms of ratios, that's how it works out. And um, ultimately, uh, what I tell people and what I uh, train my dogs to do is I can deploy my dog in what to them is a real-world situation. They can bite. They can uh, make contact. They, they can be called off on command. So I do not have to go and drag my dogs off, which is very important in a home defense situation. You need to be able to call your dog off immediately if you need them to reengage a secondary target or if, you, you know, simply the threat is gone. You don't want your dog hanging onto somebody's arm while they're running down the street. Or if um, which, you've now got a go weapon drawn on the guy, you don't really want to stick your arm in there and give the guy an opportunity now that otherwise he would not have. Absolutely. Absolutely. So control of your dog is absolutely key. But I tell people all the time, it's easy to make a dog bite. What, what is difficult or what takes expertise is training a dog to be stable. And, um, and that's what we specialize in. That's, that's our primary focus. Um, practically anybody could tie a dog out on a chain and agitate it to the point where it would want to bite anybody that came by. Um, the, the real problem, and, and I'm not trying to say that no, no other dog training facilities out there gain control over their dogs. They do to one degree or another. But um, you, you go onto YouTube and type in dog bites or, or dog bite work or bite training or whatever uh, words you want to use, and 99% of them have a couple things in common. One is they will always be wearing a sleeve. You'll hardly ever see people doing bite work in a suit. Why is that critical? Well, if you brought a sleeve to my facility and put it on and I deployed one of my dogs at you, you would be bitten everywhere on your body except one place where that sleeve is. Because dogs are not dumb. You don't want to train a dog to target a specific area every time. You want to train a dog to fight with an adversary. Just like um, the, the, the other thing you'll see, let me, let me just finish this thought up. The other thing that you'll see is that nine times out of ten, the person will have a weapon of some kind, whether it's a handgun, whether it's a stick, uh, something that they can hit the dog with. The dog will come in, they'll bite the sleeve, and then they'll hang on to the sleeve while allowing the gun to be fired or while allowing themselves to be hit with this stick. They will not release and retarget. Um, now, let me ask you a question, Jack. If I were to enter into a fight with Mike Tyson and I got into the ring with him, I warmed up, the bell went off. Let's assume he was wearing a shirt in, in this particular fight. And I ran up to him and I grabbed a hold of his collar and he beat me unconscious. But I didn't let go of his collar. Would you say that I won? No. I, I, I wouldn't think that that was a very successful fight. But if I ran in and I hit him here and I dodged out of this punch and I hit him there and I dodged out of another punch and I continued to do so until he either submitted it to me or my buddy was able to come in and help me out. Well, that, that's a pretty successful fight. Well, my argument is that most dog training facilities, when they take a dog, 
They train it to bite an arm and to hold on while it's being shot at or while you're being shot at or while it's being hit with another weapon, whether that weapon is a, a baseball bat or a club or a knife, whatever it is, uh, and just simply hangs on for dear life. That is not an effective protection dog. Um, anytime that you work with any dogs that are trained by either us or bad nine, what you'll find out is that they'll come in, they'll engage the target, they'll bite, and if a secondary weapon is presented, they're going to release the, the arm that's not a threat to them, and they're going to retarget. And if you've got a dog that, if you've got a situation, like I know you have two dogs, I have uh, two dogs in my house at the moment, and if I deploy one, I can either deploy one and hold one back intentionally, or I can let them both go. But I don't need them both necessarily hanging onto the same arm or anything like that. They work as a team. So one might be biting legs while another one's biting arms, and they take the guy to the ground. And that happens very quickly. And once the guy's on the ground, I can command my dogs to leave it and lay down, and they'll lay literally right at his side as long as he doesn't get up and act aggressive again. And if he does, they reengage. And then they'll, they'll lay there and they'll wait for the next command. So I can at that point have my firearm on them, calling the police, and just tell them, don't move. And, and we've, we've <laughs> subdued the situation, and we haven't had to kill anybody necessarily. Yeah. And one Hans of the things I want Hans to get across to people. Your, if you don't want Hans and Franz grabbing on you again, don't move. And it, exactly. what you're describing, not so much the control, right? That, that's something very much a, a trained behavior. But the attack behavior is far more natural behavior to me for dogs because I've kept dogs primarily for predator control, and I've seen dogs engage with coyotes. And when they do mm -hmm. that, they don't grab the coyote by the neck and sit there and shake it and, and, and get bit back. And they move, they, and especially when there's a pair of dogs. One will go for the rear, one goes for the front. They'll put the other Absolutely. animal off. Exactly, you know, they will not just do this. So it actually seems like it's much more natural behavior that you're, you're teaching them. That's, that's exactly what it is, Jack. It's, it's the idea that we're going we, – we tell people this all the time. When I train a dog to track, am I really training a dog to track? Can I get down on the ground and detect where the scent is, or is what I'm really doing communicate the dog that I want them to do something that they do naturally, and I just want to direct it to be beneficial to me? Yeah, you're and, getting them to track what you want them to track versus whatever they feel like tracking. Exactly, but I can't teach them to track. I don't know where the scent is. The, only the dog knows where the scent is. It's not something I can train them to do. It's something that they do naturally. And the same thing is with bite work is a lot of times what we do is we take these dogs that would react naturally and would be very beneficial to us in that situation, and we train all of their natural instincts out of them rather than harnessing their natural instincts and understanding how to work with them to maximize their efficiency for us. Now, one of the concerns I have is not so much for my family and my friends that are there all the time that the dogs are familiar with. My concern with, let's call it a weaponized dog, is the person that's not really a threat but shows up unannounced or the dogs aren't very familiar with. How do you, and, you know, maybe me not being uh, voice distance away, so how do you handle it? These dogs have to be handled differently than the typical dog, I would imagine. Well, what we tell people is, you know, Anybody who ever says that their dog doesn't bite, I say that's an incorrect statement. The best thing that you can say is that my dog is not bitten yet. Remember, dogs are predators. They bite things. That's what they do. Their mouth is the weapon that they use, just like you know, a cat obviously uses their mouth and their claws. You know, Every animal that's a predator has a weapon on its body, and it uses that weapon to subdue uh, either prey or to defend itself against other predators. Well, the dog bites. That's just what it does. And 
what we tell people is if you own a dog, you must be responsible for that dog. Uh, I actually, uh, over the next couple of weeks, there'll be a couple articles posted on my website about a little three-year-old girl, uh, or I'm sorry, a three-day-old girl who was killed by a family pet, never trained in any kind of aggression or bite work or protection. It was simply uh, a dog in the house. The little baby was brought home, left in its swing, and the parents came back around the corner and, and their dog had killed their child. Uh, devastating story. I, I don't wish that to happen on anyone. But what I do is I say, why did this happen? What is it that this family could have done to prevent this that they didn't do so that other people don't have that same experience? Uh, there was another situation just recently in Australia where a young girl, I think she was uh, eight years old or so, was uh, attacked by a pack of mastiffs. They also um, they were just simply used for uh, outdoor predator control, just similar to what you described for your dogs. Uh, so they were not trying to attack humans, but nevertheless, this little girl came in and she was attacked by them. Uh, she, she did live and, and had to undergo surgery. In both these cases, though, it's a situation of controlling your dog. What we encourage here at Dunitas Canine is that all dogs need to be viewed with a sense of responsibility. Um, we, we, call, uh, we call our training philosophy the 12 pillars of dog training, kind of after your 12 pillars and uh, when I started working out my things, it just so happened there were 12 of them. But one of the um, things that I tell people is that you are responsible for everything that your dog does or fails to do. And that's a critical understanding whenever you have any animal. If you have um, bulls and, and you, know, you get one that's very aggressive toward people, then you need to take extra steps to ensure that that bull is not going to harm a person. Uh, well, the same thing goes with dogs. If you have a dog... You need to ensure that you have control of that dog at all times so that it doesn't harm other people. Now, the exact method of control will vary based on your lifestyle and what you do. And, uh, you know, if you're on a five-acre uh, lot that's fenced in and, and has some other things, well, you're going to respond differently than somebody who's in an apartment. But the bottom line is if you tell your dog, even from a long distance away, if you say, leave it, let's go, your dog leave it and come to you immediately. It's not a request. It's a command. Your dog must be under your control at all times. Uh, now, a lot of times people say, well, isn't that mean? And don't your dogs ever get to play and all this other stuff? If I pull out the, uh, the tracking lead for my dog and I walk outside and, and they see that thing in my hand, buddy, those dogs are as excited as anybody's ever seen a dog because they're about to get to work. To them, that is play. And I think we've lost this um, because we've lost an appreciation for work and we think that the ultimate objective in life is to play. Uh, we, we try and enforce that upon the animals. But really, when we take the animals, we put them to work the way that they were bred to work. Uh, we find that that's really where they're the happiest. And that's what we encourage people to do is to always have control of your dog and to direct the energy that your dog has into work rather than into play. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and owning a shepherd myself, and I think that's what you primarily work with, correct, is German shepherds? We work with a lot of different breeds, but the shepherd, um, the, the German-Belgian shepherd, which is uh, typically called the Malinois, and the Dutch shepherd are my three favorite dogs that I work gotcha. with. Gotcha. Um, what I've noticed with my dog is I have to give him work, or he's not happy. Exactly. He's a working breed. He's not a freaking chihuahua that's happy sleeping on the couch and barking at the door. He needs things to do, whether it's fetching, whether it's walking. And a lot of the walk stuff is very, to me, very training oriented as well, because that's why we need things like leave it. Because if the dog goes off after a deer and runs through the neighbor's yard, I can end up with a shot dog. Right. Exactly. And, a, and a very likely a, a shot neighbor. Right? <laughs> so so I, I want that kind of control. But you actually believe that anybody interested in preparedness and security should have a dog. Why do you feel that way? Well, 
I look at it, you know, there's a phrase that you use a lot on your show, and that's if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So you encourage people not only to have a firearm in their house, but also to have pepper spray and maybe a taser and, and you know, maybe a baseball bat if you can't get to anything else. Um, you, you want multiple tools in your tool chest to be able to uh, to defend your house, to defend yourself and your children. And I look at dogs as kind of the ultimate tool. Um, I love firearms, and, and I have firearms, and I love to go to the range and shoot, and I've been in the military for 11 years, so I've carried guns for years at a time downrange, and, um, and I think firearms are an outstanding tool. But in terms of diversity, uh, there is no single tool that you can have that can provide for you all the things that a dog can provide for you. And, you know, if you were to ask me, and I think if, if anybody were to ask you, and, and they simply said, you know, should I continue adding tools, or, or should I just, you know, not have... You know, should I just be content with the tools that I currently have? I think uh, anybody who's really interested in preparedness would say, as you have the capability, you should always continue adding tools. The more tools, the better. The more options that you have to respond to things, uh, whatever that is, the better. And when we look at dogs, we don't look at them just from the protection standpoint. One of the things that we trained our dogs to do very early on is as soon as our kids could walk, we trained them to track our children by name. So literally, I could have, we have six children now, but at the time we started this, we had three that could kind of run around and toddle around, and we would send them into the backyard, and they would just kind of run here, there, and everywhere and hide. And we could literally take our dogs out back. We could uh, either do this on or off lead. We'd release them and tell them, seek Chloe, my oldest daughter. And, and my dog would ignore the others and would only go after Chloe. Well, why is this significant? Well, if you've got a lot of property and your kids like to go outside in the back 40 and play, and you walk outside and you call their name and they're not coming, and, uh, you know, it's, it's past the time when they were supposed to be home. Well, I don't know about any other parents, but I want to know where my kid is and I want to go find them quick. You know, they probably just lost track of time or whatever the case may be, but I want to make sure that they're okay. Well, I walk my dog outside. I go to the last place I saw my child and I snap that lead and I say, seek Chloe or wh whoever it is. So we take our dogs and we maximize their capability. We not only do bite work with them, but we do, um, we do tracking. You can use a dog for hunting. You can use a dog for scent detection. You know, I mean, hopefully uh, a lot of our listeners aren't having issues with this, but uh, if you have a child that you're concerned they might, you know, be doing drugs. Well, if you have a dog, it, it takes about two weeks uh, to introduce a dog to a specific scent you want them to indicate on, and you go in your kid's room and see if they've got any drugs hidden anywhere. <laughs> there's, there's so many things that you can do with these dogs um, that – you know, the, the amount of capabilities that this particular tool brings to your tool chest is just unbelievable. And I haven't even gotten into mentioning some of the things that they specifically add just to home protection and defense. Yeah, I mean, part of it for me is a certain level of alertness. Uh, you cannot, for a human being, replicate the hearing ability nor the scenting ability of a dog. And they are aware of things when you're not. So to me... Even the, the the chihuahua that I mocked earlier, the head simply comes up and ears perk up, is a, a level of security that I, I think is just not present if you don't have a dog. I don't think there's any other animal other than the dog that can do that to that level and will willingly do it for, for their families. Absolutely. Well, there, there's a couple of animals that we encourage people if, if they have a, a homestead and if they want just alarm systems. Geese are a great one, um, but most people don't have a goose running around in their house and, and a other than the alarm, a goose is kind of like a chihuahua or a, you know, a little Yorkie terrier or something like that. You know, they, they can alert you, but after that, their their job's pretty much done. I don't know. Have you ever seen a flock of about 25 geese go after somebody? It's kind <laughs> that, of comical. That, that is a good point. That is a good point. But um, 
I, I completely agree with you. In terms of dogs um, providing that level of security in terms of just being an early warning system, uh, that is an outstanding quality of a dog. And even small dogs do that for people. And uh, so if, if somebody has a small dog and that's all they want, you know, at the very least you have that added uh, ability to detect uh, movement, to detect um, the presence of a person outside. And a lot of those little dogs especially will begin barking um, and, you know, that will wake people up. I actually just um, was uh, watching a video on a story that was very tragic about a, a home invasion where four young men took a uh, window air conditioner and pushed it into a house in order to gain access to a house. And the act of pushing that air conditioner through the window so it landed on the floor inside the house did not wake up the mother and the daughter that were there in the house and, and ultimately ended in the mother's death and, and a serious injuries to the daughter. Um, if you had a dog, that would not happen. That no. dog is going to indicate, I mean, long before even it gets to the point where there's now a big hole in the window, yeah. that dog is going to hear the noise outside. They're going to be suspicious. They're going to bark. They're going to move around and, and uh, you know, hopefully wake you up. Because um, a lot of people say, oh, I would wake up if this happened or that happened. But you'd really be surprised what you would see through. And so What's dogs amazing? definitely offer that. What's amazing to me as you talk is how much of this stuff is in the dog. Because my, my shepherd is nowhere near trained to the level that you train a dog. I mean, I'm absolutely positive of that. But when you were talking about him alerting or, or following your kids by name, I have two cats and an old Labrador that ends up in places he doesn't need to be anymore because he goes down into these drop-offs and can't get out. And I've never trained this dog, but I can go, where's Ralph, which is one of the cats, or where's Blackie? And he'll go straight to him. It, it, exactly. it's, it, it's a very instinctual behavior. I did want to ask you about size of dogs. Our dog does not conform to standard breed characteristics. He is about 130 pounds, and I, you know, I've asked the vet, I said, is he overweight? And he just looks at him and goes, no. He goes, that's the, the longest back German Shepherd I've ever seen in my life. He said, that dog is huge, and he's just that big. I've seen that most people that train dogs actually prefer these dogs more in that, you know, 80-pound range. Or What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, in terms of size of dog, there's a, a lot that goes into that. It depends. Ultimately, it depends on what you want. Um, if you have the, the size house and the size yard to support a dog that's that size, then that's fine. Um, but hopefully you never need your dog to uh, jump out of an airplane with you attached to a parachute. Uh, which we do with our dogs. You never need um, your dog to, you know, hopefully you don't need to send your dog into a small tunnel um, or, or to, to jump up into a very high window. Uh, yeah. So if you need those things, then you're going to want a smaller, more agile dog. My German Shepherd uh, female is about 65 pounds, so she's a little on the small side, but, but kind of right there in the medium range, uh, whereas my Malinois is only about 40 pounds, 40, 45 pounds. Uh, but my Malinois can clear a 12-foot fence just barely touching the top of it. And so I can literally deploy her into a second-story window if I need to. And, and I think there's another thing there with endurance. The larger dogs just don't seem to have the endurance that the, uh, the, the smaller-frame dogs do, though I really wouldn't want 130 pounds of German Shepherd latched onto my neck. I, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know. you know, when you talk about endurance, the other thing to keep in mind is that your, the larger breeds tend to not live as long. Mm -hmm. um, your mastiffs tend to only live about eight, maybe ten years, and to really only have uh, maybe five or six years of, of working life in them. Um, your German Shepherds, it depends on the breeder that you get and things like that. Um, I, all of my dogs come from Baden Canine. Baden uh, has a completely in-house uh, breeding facility, and, uh, and their dogs on average will live about 18 years. 
and uh, and you'll get about 14 to 16 years of working uh, ability out of them. They they just want to work until that age, and um, you know it's it's almost sad to put one of these dogs away, meaning you know tie them to their uh, chain and just let them hang out at their house and and eat and drink until their day comes, and kind of because you could just see the longing in their eyes even when they physically can't do it anymore they still want to work yeah and, retirement's um, tough for dogs i think tougher than it is for people I, I think so too and it's good to still do some stuff with them but it's amazing to be able to have a dog that for 16 years of its life which is of course 16 years of your life is that dog is at your side ready to work it can track it can defend uh it can you know do detection work and uh, it can generally just be integrated into your life and everything that you do and um that's one of the things I love about the lines that come from there. Some of your smaller dogs, of course, will have even longer lives. You know, there's some that will live 22, 24 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, at some point you have a point of diminishing returns in both directions. So my advice to people is, you know, unless you have some specific purpose for having either a really big or a really small dog, your medium-sized dogs, and by that I mean like 35 to, say, 85 pounds, are really um, the best all-around characteristics of a dog in terms of longevity of life and usefulness to uh, to us for all-around purposes. Well, just thinking on this, though, not every person that gets a dog, even a dog for defense, is going to go to the level of training that you're capable of. But there's probably things that everybody with a dog should make sure their dog is capable of and should make sure that they're trained to do. So what is kind of some things that you think every single person with a dog who is interested in security should do with that dog? Well, of course, at a very minimum, everyone must have basic obedience down in their dog. If they tell their dog to leave something, they must leave it. If they tell them to sit, they must sit. Lay down, they must lay down. Uh, when they want them to come, they must come. When they tell them to wait, they must wait. And when they tell them to walk with them, they need to walk at your side in a manner that's controllable. And uh, so we have a basic obedience course that focuses on those five primary things, sit, lay down, wait, come, and walk at your side. And that really is the foundation for everything else that you do. So at an absolute minimum, you need to have basic obedience with your dog. And please, please, please do not send your dog to somebody else to receive basic obedience because all that means is that that person who trained your dog now has control of your dog, but it does not mean that you have control of your dog. So I highly encourage people to go through the training with their dog um, you know, we look at our philosophy as in we're training the person almost the dog, and uh, and the dog will uh, come into the amount of training that the person brings to it. But uh, the other thing that I would encourage everyone to do is to do some level of uh, protection work with your dog, especially if that's your dog's purpose. Um, you know, you would multiple times people have brought up firearms and having firearms in their home, and I've heard you say a lot of times, Jack, that. You know, you need to train with your firearm. It's critical. You don't just buy a firearm, stick it in your closet, and trust that it's going to be there to, to help you when the time comes. Well, the same thing goes with a dog. If you've never tested your dog, if you've never run a home protection scenario with your dog, you don't know that your dog is going to defend. Um, you know, I do a lot of bite work with dogs. I take a lot of dogs from, you know, you know, nice to, you know, when the person wants to deploy them, they give the dog the word, they deploy, they call them off. It's about six weeks' worth of training. Uh, that we do with people for a full protection run-up. And um, I'll tell you one thing that I found over and over again. A lot of dogs bark, a lot of dogs growl, but not a lot of dogs bite. You've got to build the dog up to that. And so I've seen a lot of people who, you know, their dog barks when somebody comes to the door and they say, oh, I'm sure he would protect us. But we put that dog on the flat collar and we start to agitate and the dog wants to run behind the handler and hide. 
Um, so until you trained your dog to be prepared to fight with a human being and to, to be under that kind of stress, you don't know that that dog is going to defend you. And so I would encourage everyone to do some protection work with their dog. Number one, because like I said earlier, the best you could say is my dog is not yet bitten. When you do bite work with a dog and you stabilize that dog, and again, that's, that's one of the things I think that separates us from most other dog trainers out there, is now you know when that dog will bite and when it won't bite. You now have control over that aspect of your dog. And if you, talk, if you see your dog, and we've had this happen on several occasions, um, my German Shepherd often will put out in the front yard when the children are playing out there. And, um, and when I'm deployed, my wife does that a lot so that the children aren't out by themselves. Well, on several occasions, we've had a mailman come and deliver something, and he had to you know, walk a package up to the house. He didn't just stop. Well, my dog was used to the mailman driving up and being on the sidewalk and stuff like that. Uh, my wife was out in the front yard with the dog, and the children were out playing, and he crossed that invisible line that only the dog knew <laughs> where it was. And he stepped into the yard and walked toward one of the children to <laughs> hand them a package. Well, my German Shepherd didn't like that too much, and she got up and was going after that, that mailman to defend my child. All my wife had to do was turn around and say, leave it, plutz, which is our command to lay down. And she yeah. immediately stopped and laid down. She left that person alone. We had control over that aspect of her. And a lot of, especially female herding dogs, so your German Shepherds, any of your Shepherd breeds, uh, your Collies and, and all that kind of stuff, they will often um, attack anything that they see as a threat to whatever they identify as their herd that, that they're supposed to watch over. And if they're in a family, well, typically that's the children in the family. They'll, sure. they'll just have this natural herding instinct around the children. And um, and so not doing bite work doesn't keep you as the dog owner from being responsible if your dog bites someone. Um, it's much, much better to get some basic um, protection work done that includes a high amount of stability in the dogs so that all you have to do is tell your dog, leave it. Let's go. It's okay. I see it. And, and yeah. as soon as you give that command, the dog is off. He doop, Light switch was just turned off, and he's calm and good to go. Yeah, with my dog, it's 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 it, it, it's it's okay. As soon as you say that, he just he just totally changes. And exactly. I, again, there's got to be something because the people that had this dog before us. We got him when he was about 14 months old. He was abandoned. They didn't know the dog didn't know how to sit when I got him. So there's not like there was any training that pre pre you know predated this. He's not been taught to do anything with this. And then the herding behavior is interesting. I had a a friend come down to our place and brought six kids with him. Right? Mm -hmm. Patrick, the guy that made my knife. And most of them are little. I mean, like, real little. And they're all in the living room. So the dog sits in the dining room, right where the line between the carpet and the wood is, and sits there. And every time one of the kids would start leaving the living room, he just shoved them back inside yep. like, they, like a cutting horse. You know? Yep. And it's, it, it's, it's amazing to me how much is in these dogs. And it sounds like a lot of what you do is, A, bring it out, and B, learn to control it and channel it. Exactly. Exactly. And that's really what you want to do. As soon as you start taking the natural abilities of any animal and trying to change them, your success is always going to be very limited. Notice that nobody goes out and, and rides barrel races on a cow. Just because a <laughs> cow doesn't run barrel races. Horses yeah. do that, and in specific breeds of horses. You know, um, people don't go out and try and falcon with a dove. You know, you take an animal that's bred uh, for a specific purpose and you use it for that purpose. So if you want something that retrieves, well, then go with a retriever. If you want something that is going to point, well, you go with a pointer. Um, what we found, though, is with the shepherding breeds specifically, is they have the tendency or the capability to be able to do practically anything. 
And, um, and so, you know, you now in terms of pointing, uh, you know, really you need a good, strong pointer for that. But if you just want yeah. a general hunting dog, you can take a German shepherd and turn it into a, a pretty decent hunting dog. If you want a dog that retrieves, well, a shepherd, you can train him to, to do a decent job at retrieving. Now they're not going to be as good as a retriever or a pointer, but, um, but you get my point. And the other thing that we encourage everyone to do with their dogs is that the very least they need to do some basic tracking, uh, with their dog, especially if you have children. Or anyone else in your family that, you know, for instance, some people uh, take care of their elderly parents who might, uh, you know, be having some dementia issues or something like that. Um, being able to locate these people quickly uh, with a dog just brings such a peace of mind. I know to my wife, um, she can walk outside at any time she wants to and go locate any of our children um, and, and be completely confident that our dog is going to take her directly to where it is that she needs to go. And uh, so those three things, uh, we highly encourage anyone who's interested in having dogs to, to do at least a minimal amount of training in so that, you know, they can develop it if, if they want to further later on. Is there some specific things you would do differently with a dog that somebody primarily wants for predator protection? Uh, because what I mean, my experience has been this. If I give a dog a fenced-in area mm-hmm. and I put that dog in there, I don't have to do a whole lot of training to to get them to keep raccoons away from the chickens or coyotes away from the goats. As soon as they're in there, as long as I've got them trained enough that they don't eat the chickens and the goats themselves, exactly. right? as long as i got that taken care of, at that point it seems to kind of take over. But are there ways that you can take that maybe to a higher level for that type of abuse of a dog? Well, you can train dogs. There are specific breeds of dogs that are much more prone to attack uh, say other dogs, you know, such as the the pit type uh, bulldogs, and uh, things of that nature. Those dogs were bred for the purpose of being anti dog dogs, um, which of course can um, roll over well to coyotes and, and things of that nature. If that's your primary concern, um, my primary uh, thought process on you know herd and predator protection type dogs is that you want to make sure that those dogs are stable. And what I mean by that is I think you were talking to uh, Mr. Kennedy uh, a couple of days ago. Yep. And, um, and he was mentioning some of his concern with, uh, with finding out on occasion that you know, his dogs were out around other people, uh, whether a fence had broken or whatever the case may be. And whether he realized how he trained them or not, um, what had happened along the way was that those dogs were trained to be stable around people. Um, right. So when – you know, when the fence was down and, and the threat, quote unquote, was gone, they, they were good to go. They, you know, they didn't just run around fighting and mauling everyone that was there. And, of course, that would have been a really bad day for him if that had been sure. what they did. Um, yeah. So what, what we train uh, people to do with their dogs is to develop um, stability and to develop suspicion in the areas they want suspicion. And what I mean by that is our German Shepherd has always been our home-slash-family protection dog, and my Malinois has always been my dog. So um, any time that it's been possible, even when I deployed downrange, I took my Malinois with me um, except for one deployment, and my German Shepherd's always family. And what we want my German Shepherd to do is be suspicious of anyone approaching the house. And so you'll see two completely different reactions from our dogs if someone knocks on my door. My German Shepherd always comes to the door to check. 
my Malinois, I was just kind of laid back and, you know, she, now she's like a light switch. I flick that light switch on and say, you know, go attack that person, and there's no hesitation. But my German Shepherd's always suspicious of that, and we want her like that in that situation. But then when we're outside the house, when we're grocery shopping with them or when we're traveling in our cars or whatever the case may be, we want her to be very open with people. And so you socialize your dogs in the environments that you want them socialized in, and you build suspicion in the environments you want them suspicious in. You can do that in, inside a fence with a, um, a dog that's designed for herd protection uh, or just for perimeter protection. You know, if you just want a dog that's outside protecting your perimeter, um, then, you know, you can do the things in that situation. Uh, so, in other words, if you don't want your dog being friendly with people in your yard, then you never, ever let people pet your dog in your yard. It's the only people who come around your dog and pet them are you and your wife and children or whoever it is that you allow in that area. And the same thing would go true in your house. If you want your dog uh, to be protective of the house, then they're never to be pet on by anyone other than your family inside your house. Um, so you could do that with a herd. Uh, you could do that in your, in your house with your family or in a fenced-in area. And then when you go into public, you know, like I take my dogs grocery shopping with me all the time. So I'm walking down the aisle of Publix. Uh, a lot of times I'll tell people, no, you know, she's working. You can't pet them. But especially when children come around, anytime a child comes around and says, can I pet your dog? It's always yes. Yes, you can pet my dog. You know, now you watch over the dog. You make sure there's no aggressive uh, postures that the dog's taken where they, you know, feel that there's an issue or something. Um, but you want your dog to be comfortable and social in those environments so that there's no uh, threats that your dog's going to turn and attack. Uh, now, is it always our responsibility to watch? Yes. Is it always our responsibility to be aware of the communication coming back from the dog? It is. Uh, but you can train the dogs in those areas uh, to the greatest extent possible so that you have control. You've, uh, you've you know, communicated previously, essentially, to the dog when it's okay to be suspicious, when it's not okay to be suspicious. And then, in addition to that, you can turn that switch on and off at any time you need to. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I do say there's something with fences that dogs, I don't know what it is, if it's just that it's a perimeter or what, but like this old uh, lab mix that we had when he wasn't so old, I had a guy come to the front door one time, and he was a cable TV guy, and he says, I need to go in the backyard and, and, and access the cable pedestal back there, and I'm like, yeah, come on through the house and just go. He goes, oh, you need to put the dog away. So what do you mean? I got this, this Siberian husky that would you know lay down and get a belly rub from a, you know an axe murderer and this old lab right. So they're, they're, and I'm like you can go back there they're fine I'll go out there with you and he was like no and then I looked at his face and I realized at that point this guy was scared right. and I'm like did you try to climb over the fence he goes yeah I said oh no he doesn't like that and yep. it was it was like you could go in the yard but you better not come over the fence. Exactly. And even though this dog was like this dog's no training at all than sit stay and you know. Play dead. Um, you and I had a neighbor one time leaning over the fence trying to talk to him. I'm like, don't, don't do that. And he got the this like a six foot privacy fence, and he got that center um, support with his paw where he could throw himself up. And he came mm -hmm. a quarter inch from her face. And yep. I, 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 there's just something about the fence that the dog's like, you know what? You don't come in that way. Exactly. Yeah, and what we try to do here is, you know, you've mentioned it a couple times, but essentially we take these natural abilities of the dog, um, and, you know, most of the, the breeds have been damaged to one degree or another by um, the AKC and the CKC breeding for a specific look in a dog rather than their working ability. Uh, but if you get a well-bred dog, um, 
all you have to do is begin to understand some of these philosophies and some of the simple things, and you can take these dogs to levels that are just, you know, quite frankly, for your average person are unbelievable until they see it themselves for the first time. And it really doesn't take a lot of time. You know, we run a basic obedience course that's 10 sessions uh, at about an hour each session. And at the end of 10 sessions, they these people have complete control over the five basic obedience commands with their dogs. We run a six-week uh, session with uh, protection dogs that we break up into like two-week sessions. And, um, and at the end of six weeks, these dogs are stable. They will deploy on command. They'll recall on command. Uh, they'll attack when their handler is attacked without any commands, but then they'll immediately call off, and the guy that was just attacking you can turn around and shake your hand. And if you tell your dog it's okay, I see it, leave it, they just sit there and watch. Um, and so, you know, it's really bringing out the abilities of the dog and helping the handlers to wake up to what, the, what communication is going on because you're always communicating with your dog, and your dog's always communicating with you. You know, you notice in a pack of birds, uh, when the first bird turns to make a turn mid-flight, the, the rest of the birds don't crash into that bird. Animals use a, a subtle form of communication that we're often completely unaware of. And dogs are no exception to that. And when you have um, a handler that can understand the communication that's coming back from their dog, you know, ears laid back, tail wagging, you know, all the various ways that dogs communicate, um, then you enter into a, a situation where you know in advance what's going to happen. You know if your dog's uncomfortable with a situation, you can tell them, it's okay, it's okay, I see it, leave it. You know when your dog's not alert enough and you could tell them, hey, what's that over there? You know, watch it. And, you know, you just really develop an ability to function with your dog in a way that you simply can't function on your own. Uh, and that when you don't have a trained dog or you don't have a handler who understands their dog, they really are just squandering a lot of these capabilities. Is there, like, you know the old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It would obviously be preferable to work with a young dog, but is there an age at which you say that the dog pretty much is what it is, or can a dog of any age reasonably, like you said, when they get older and they're geriatric and all that, so that's a different story. But, you know, could you work with a six-year-old dog and, and get the same results? Absolutely. As long, well, when you say same results, let me, let me preface by saying this. Um, the foundation you lay with a dog is always going to have an impact on that dog. Uh, now, some people accidentally lay great foundations, and some people, you know, because they just really know nothing about dogs, end up laying really bad foundations. Uh, now, you can do a lot to overcome a bad foundation, but the foundation is always essentially what you're working on, and that's pretty much laid in the first 18 months to two years of a dog's life. Uh, so if a dog was always beat with a stick, you can do a lot to overcome uh, some of their you know, automatic reactions to a stick, but there's always going to be a little bit of, um, of a reaction to that because that was the foundation they came from. But assuming a halfway decent foundation, uh, as long as a dog is capable of working, you can, you can bring these dogs up to these levels. You can always, always, always do basic obedience with a dog, and I've taken – uh, chihuahuas and dachshunds and literally in a 30-minute session with the handler um, had their dog um, you know sitting and laying uh, sitting or laying in their house and just staying where they were told to stay without getting up and moving around and the person's just sitting there with their you know f mouth on the floor their jaw on the floor because their dog's been out of control insane every day of their life and you know these are six eight eight year old dogs 12 year old dogs sometimes so you've got that issue, but the other thing um, is, is as long as your foundations are, are halfway decent, then, yes, we could take a dog. We can um, develop their ability to be obedient, obviously, because that's the foundation for all of the work that we do, and then we can take the dog 
and we can do um, protection work and, and other things like this. The only time you're really going to run into a limitation is, again, if a dog was, was beaten um, or if somebody tried to do protection work and really messed it up. Um, you can, again, you can overcome a lot of those things, but it, it's just extra work. Uh, you take a dog with a decent foundation in six weeks, that dog is doing practically everything that you want it to do. Now, you have to maintain it and you have to, um, you know, be a good uh, dog owner and not go screw up a bunch of work that you did. But as long as you do that, then those dogs are going to be great. And, um, you know, so I would say for your typical shepherd um, and typical breeding and all that kind of stuff, you're looking at about probably 10 to 12 years is somewhere in there is going to be where your dog is, is pretty much done with his working age and is ready to, um, to move on. But anything under that, uh, yeah, you can, you can do any of this kind of training. And, um, you know, like you said, the younger you start, the better, but that I don't want people to think that, you know, oh, my dog's six years old, so I can't do anything with it. Six is really, you know, kind of like a middle-aged dog. So that would be like taking, uh, you know, 24 year old, 26 year old, guy who's never been in the military and say, you know what, hey, let's make you a soldier. You know, well, he's not going to be quite as good a soldier as a Spartan who, you know, from the time he was eight years old, uh, was, was being beaten and, and learning to endure pain. But, you know, you can make him a pretty good soldier. And sure. the same thing with dogs. He, he, and again, he might struggle a little more dealing with the control uh, than the 18-year-old right out of school that's never lived on his own yet. Uh, and, and might have a little more trouble with basic, but that doesn't mean he can't get through it. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, and one of the things we tell people is, um, you know, the proverb says that a righteous man regards the life of his animal. And, you know, we never take our dogs and immediately start being harsh with them uh, and things like that. And, you know, a lot of people see the discipline that we have in our dogs and they say, oh, my goodness, how did you achieve that? You know, you must beat your dogs or, you know, electrocute them into submission with those shot collars and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, no, it's real simple. Uh, you put a prong collar on them and you be consistent. When I say sit, you must sit and you give them a light correction. And if you have to give them a little harder correction, well, then you do. But you only bring the correction to the level that you need to for the dog to realize you're serious. And as long as you're consistent with that, uh, you know, my dogs live in their in their prong collars for the most part, but honestly, they hardly ever get corrected because all I need to do is just, you know, a little touch of this direction, a little touch of that direction. It's like a bridle on a horse. You know, somebody who has a well-trained horse doesn't yank the bridle in their horse's mouth when they want to turn left and right. They just lay the rein across their neck and the, and the horse turns. Uh, and so that's ultimately what it becomes with a dog when... Um, when you are disciplined and when you are consistent and you're under control yourself, well, then you have a dog that's that way. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm one of these people that believes there's no, there's no case for abusive behavior of a dog. And, you know, I grew up with, with a father and uncles that would train bird dogs with a crack of a hat on their head or whatever. And, and what I've learned is if you're not getting the results out of your dog that you want, odds are the dog's not clearing what you want because most of them – they seem to want to please. They want to do what you're asking them to do, but it's your job as a trainer to get them to understand what you're asking. Exactly. And there's so many things. You know, when, when I was going through this training uh, with Baden, and, you know, I can't sing those guys' praises enough, they, um, the techniques that they would use to introduce things, once they showed you the technique, you just wanted to take your head and bang it against the wall because it was so simple. It was like, why didn't I think of that? All you had to do is communicate in the proper way to the dog what you wanted them to do, and voila, 
they do it. Now, you know, if you want a dog to jump through a bus window, well, the very first time, they're going to be a little skeptical of their ability to, you know, make that kind of height and, and get up in and through a bus window. But you show them they can do it. You encourage them through it. You, you know, you uh, use various different techniques to show them that, hey, you know, this is what you got to do. I know you're capable. So come on, you got to do it. You know, it's not a, I'm not asking. Uh, it's it's going to happen, but let's do it together. And then you get out there with your dog, you train, and at the end of the day, your dog's jumping through bus windows. Um, so it's, it's a lot of this really comes down to technique and communication. And, um, you know, it, it's amazing to me. Uh, I think 10 years ago, uh, when we were first starting dog training, I started asking questions about what dogs were capable of doing. And about six to eight years ago, uh, we started doing rappelling with dogs. We started doing airborne operations with dogs, waterborne operations with dogs. And when I first started bringing this stuff up, people were like, that's insane. There's no way you can do that. It, you know, anybody who says you can do that with a dog is just an idiot and blah, blah, blah. So I quickly stopped talking about it to other people and just continued training, you know, my, on my own for it. And lo and behold, now they're using dogs. So, oh, I don't know, uh, clear compounds with bin Laden, fast roping out of helicopters. Uh, the Austrians are jumping out of planes with them, uh, all the things that I said that you could do with a dog and that we started developing uh, almost 10 years ago, uh, you know, is now fairly commonplace in your militaries. And it just shows that the dogs have so many more capabilities than people are willing to accept and are willing to learn to do themselves. And, you know, one of our tenets is anything that a person can do, a person can do with a dog. And, you know, and when I say anything, you know, sometimes there's some specialized equipment needed, but we haven't found anything yet that we couldn't include a dog in to include being launched out of a torpedo out of a submarine and a waterborne operation into a into an objective. Wow. Well, that's probably a little bit over the heads of most folks here, but it does show the capabilities. So if people want to learn more about what you're doing or, or work with you, how do they get in touch with you? Do you have a website or what have you? Absolutely. The easiest website to visit us at is www.dk-9.com, and that stands for Dunitas Canine, so Delta Kilo-9.com. Uh, they can also visit us on Facebook. Uh, just look us up under Dunitas Canine, and Dunitas is D-U-N-E-T-O-S. Dunitas Canine. We're also on Twitter and YouTube. We post a lot of our videos that are going up on our blog. Uh, to YouTube prior to them actually posting on the uh, blog. So if you want to see those as soon as they're posted, uh, you can subscribe to us there. And, uh, and then we also do a lot with fitness with the dogs, and this is an area where a lot of handlers uh, really fall short in being able to maximize the capabilities of their dogs is because they're not in shape and they're not able to work with their dogs. Uh, and we have a, a website that we've just started called Dunitas Fitness, uh, which gives a lot of workouts that you can do with your dog um, to build the bond and build the uh, the obedience of your dog as well as get yourself and your dog in shape. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely include all the links on uh, for that stuff in uh, the show notes for today. One more question I have for you: Are you have you relocated now? Where where exactly are you? Because you were in Alaska and then we almost met in Montana and it didn't work out. And you guys were moving. So have you relocated now? I have now. Right currently, we're in Plant City, Florida. Um, we're expecting to be here essentially forever at this point. Uh, a little sad because I went from the beautiful state of Alaska with uh, Fairbanks and hunting on the North Slope and fishing salmon in Valdez every year. Uh, now I'm back in Florida where I grew up, but uh, we're, we're content with where the Lord's placed us, and uh, it looks like this is where we will be for quite a time. 
So um, there's still a little bit of settling in to do, but for the most part, yes, we are officially relocated now in uh, the Tampa, Florida area. So folks, if you're in that part of the country and you want some great dog training, you might want to look Joel up. And uh, Hey, Joel, it's been a great interview with a lot of interesting stuff. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. It was my pleasure, Jack. All right, folks, and uh, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today, with, along with Joe Riles, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.